Bibles tonight. If you had the book of Jonah, Old Testament book, last 12 books of the Old Testament are minor prophets. And the book of Jonah is the fifth of those minor prophets. So if you find Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. I uh, said this last week, we're going to do a little mini-series here on Wednesday nights on this book of Jonah. Probably Jonah is the most familiar story I suppose from the Old Testament, and it has certainly uh, brought upon itself a lot of criticism. How many people say, I don't believe that a whale can swallow a man and that man survive, anything like that. But uh, our uh, take on those kind of criticism, we believe God. God says it's true. The Bible says it's true. Jesus recognized this man named Jonah. And if the Lord recognized it, then we really don't have any issue with it. Uh, Jonah chapter number one, I'd like to read the first four verses, if you'd follow Jonah chapter one, let's begin in verse one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But, always notice the but, that means we're taking a 180 degree turn, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for a midweek service where we can stop the rest of our work and labor, gather with other Christians, sing these songs, and look into your word. And Lord, I know that the book of Jonah is somewhat familiar to many, and so we, we could kind of relax and say there's nothing more to learn. But the truth, Lord, is there is always more to learn from your word. I pray to help us tonight and help us to find something in here that speaks to our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember last week, if you were with us, uh, we looked at some things that Jonah learned. Some things that Jonah learned. I know that uh, some of you write notes. First thing learned, God cares for every soul. So as much as God was calling Jonah, he wasn't calling Jonah to reach his people. He was calling Jonah to reach another people and that, of course, was the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a mighty nation at this time. So the first thing that Jonah learns is God's concern more than just me. God's concern and cares for every soul. Second, God commissions even the strange. Now, we would think the most effective people to um, reach the Ninevites would be a Ninevite. I think the most effective people to reach Canadians would be a Canadian. But here God called somebody who was not a Ninevite to reach that. So sometimes God calls somebody that's outside that group of people. Jonah learned that. Third thing that Jonah learned, God's call can't be sidestepped. If God is calling you to do something, be it something in your church, be it something outside of your church, you say, well, I just don't want it. That's what Jonah responded. He didn't want it. But uh, he couldn't run from God. <laughs> you are not going to be able to run from God. If you get on the fastest plane, fastest train, 
fastest moped, <laughs> by the time you get off it at the other end, God's right there. And we found that God called Jonah here in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Verse 3, he runs as fast as he can the other way. Look again at Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. So he didn't get out of the reach of God, and you can't, and I can't. He learned that, yet God's call can't be sidestepped. Fourth, he learns godliness costs so much less. You live for God and do what God has asked you to do, and he will provide the means to do it. But you decide, I'm not going to do what God wants. I'm going to do what I want, and it'll cost you. And that's why we find that uh, when he went down there to the port, found a ship, and it says he paid the fare thereof. I said this last time that where God finger points, God's hand provides. But where God's finger doesn't point, you're on your own. And Jonah learned that. He learned that he had to pay his way. And finally, we found out that God controls your circumstances. Having said that, preacher, what are we looking at tonight? If you're taking notes, the way that our God deals. Tonight, we're looking at the way that our God deals. And the first is the way that our God deals with sinners. The way that our God deals with sinners. Look again at Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. The Bible says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. We're told here that Nineveh was a great city. Sometimes when we use the word great, we're, we're talking about phenomenal. We're, we're talking about exceptional. That's a great runner. That's a great cook. That's a great singer. That's a great piano player. Sometimes that word great just means exceptional. Other times the word great just is talking about the size of it. Nineveh was a huge city. That's what it's saying when it says, uh, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Uh, Nineveh was a very old city. Keep your hand there in Jonah. Turn back, if you would, to Genesis chapter number 10. So we're talking about the very first book of the Bible here, Genesis chapter 10, uh, to give you an idea of when this city of Nineveh is first mentioned. Genesis chapter 10, look there in verse number 8. The Bible says, And Cush begat Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one in the earth, verse 10, Genesis 10, 10. And the beginning of his, that's Nimrod's kingdom, was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kelna. In the land of Shinar, out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh. So Nineveh is already mentioned uh, in 2347 B.C. is the date of God. Uh, it's already mentioned back there. Now, in this book of Jonah, which is something around 760 B.C., uh, it's still there. So, first of all, it's an old city, but secondly, it's a large city. Pastor, how do we know that? Well, we, secular uh, history books tell us that, but we don't even have to go to those. Look there in Jonah chapter 4. 
Jonah chapter number four. God is trying to reason with Jonah. He still isn't keen on this city of Nineveh. So God is saying to him, they deserve the gospel too. Jonah 4 and verse number 11, God speaking. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand? How many is six score thousand? 120,000. So wherein are more than 120,000 persons that cannot discern between the right hand and their left hand. Uh, 120,000 people couldn't tell the difference between their right hand and left hand in Nineveh. So we know its population was way more than 120,000. And so infants can't tell the difference between right and left. And little children can't tell the difference between right and left. Uh, blondes can't tell the difference. <laughs> Uh, you know, when I think, every time I read that, I think of my sister. Uh, many, many years ago, my sister and her husband, to uh, earn a little extra money, they would deliver flowers for a florist at Mother's Day and Christmas. And, and uh, my, my uh, sister's husband would drive, and they have the back of their vehicle loaded with flowers. And my, my sister's uh, husband would drive, and she had the map. Now, this is before GPS. It was even invented. And so he'd say, which way do we turn? And she'd say, left. And he'd turn left. No, right. And, and it was terrible. I mean, she was in her 30s and still couldn't tell the difference between her left hand and right hand. 120,000 people in that city that were infants and, and little children and like my sister. It, it, it could have been a million it could have been two million people in that city. I'm saying to you, first of all, we're, we're seeing here the way that God deals with sinners. Uh, look there at Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 and verse number 3. So Jonah arose. So now finally Jonah's mind has been changed. God's got his attention. Jonah decides that he's going to go to Nineveh. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Some people think that from where Jonah was, it would take him three days to get to Nineveh. I don't think that's what it means. I think that this city of Nineveh was so big that if a person wanted to walk through this city it would take them three days to get through. You say, that's huge. Well, let me give you a second reason why I think that. Look there in Jonah 3, the very next verse, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. So if, if indeed what I'm saying is right, it would take three days to walk through the city of Nineveh. And in verse 4, Jonah walks one day's worth of the full three, and he begins to preach at that place one day into it. I'm saying this is a huge city. It's a big city. We're trying to establish that uh, the way that God deals with sinners. Uh, do you know a city that size was probably very developed? I'm sure it was developed in business probably developed in, in uh, banking, probably developed in real estate, 
I'm sure it had its form of entertainment and sports, and uh, we'd have no trouble believing that Nineveh had everything that you would expect in a big city. But, you know, God doesn't measure the greatness of a city or a town or a church by the things that it can do. Look back there in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. Do you know God's estimation of a city is by its righteousness or by its wickedness? It doesn't matter what we have monetarily. It doesn't matter what we have saved up financially. It doesn't matter our talents, our abilities, our clout. God is looking at either our righteousness or God is looking at our wickedness. And God had determined, in spite of the fact that Nineveh was a great city size-wise, that it was a wicked city. And it was for that reason that God's called Jonah to go into that. Again, we're trying to learn tonight the way that our God deals. And the first thing is the way that our God deals with sinners. And uh, again, God still measures people by their condition. He doesn't, he doesn't applaud you for the things that you've accumulated. Uh, and uh, isn't uh, that always the case? The bigger the city... Now, I say that because we're in a little city. But I think even if we lived in a huge metropolis, the bigger the city, generally the more wicked that it gets. There is more access to sin. There is more access to crime. I, so when I preached that one time, someone pointed out that Abraham was looking for a city. That's true. That city is called heaven. But you know, on this earth, the bigger the city, the more likely the sin. I'm just saying we're trying to learn how God deals. First, how God deals with sinners. He tries the best he can to get the gospel there. And thank God that some are obedient to that call. Again, the bigger the city, the more wickedness, the more nightclubs, the more liquor, the more gambling, the more corruption. The big city's sin seems to be glorified. Crime seems to be organized. Uh, we won't turn about Listen to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 8. Woe unto them that join house to house. And so we're talking about a big city where the houses are just like sardine together. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, fill there uh, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. David said, I've seen violence and strife in the city. So you say, oh, preacher, we're just, we're just a wee little town. We have visitors sometime. I'm sure you know the same thing. Uh, we have visitors that come and, uh, Brother Carlson, what do people do for fun in this city? I said, well, we have an island park. No, 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 fun. Well, we have a bowling lane. Now, it's not all that straight, but you can bowl on it. No, no, like, like. Like what do you do for, you know what they're talking about? They're, they're talking about often sinful fun. 
And so there's something to be said about being in a little city. There's something protective. Now, I, I know that sin can still get our children. I understand that, especially with access to Internet and all the rest of that. First of all, we're trying to learn how God deals with, uh, how our God deals and how he deals with sinners. And he deals with them according to sin. I give you a second thing that we learn about how our God deals. Look there in Jonah chapter 1 again. Jonah chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. Secondly, all these are S's. We looked how God deals with sinners. He looks at them according to their sin. Secondly is how God deals with servants. Now, Jonah, as such, doesn't fall into the sinner category, though he sins. He falls into the servant category. So God deals with a servant in the area of obedience. God deals, first of all, with a sinner in the area of their sin. Secondly, God deals with servants in the area of obedience. So God is going to test Jonah's obedience. What does he tell them there in verse number two? He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Jonah has a choice. He can either say, okay, God, I'll do it. He could say, Lord, not too keen on it, but I'll still do it. God deals with servants by their obedience to what he says. Now, I think that most everyone in this room tonight is saved. So God may not have to deal with you or me primarily about our sin, though we still sin. God is now going to deal primarily with our obedience to what he tells us to do. And uh, as much as Jonah was a prophet, as much as Jonah might have been well known in his day, here Jonah has decided that he is not going to be obedient to what God says, and that's that God has to deal with him in a different way. Do you know, uh, in uh, this particular case, God called a man, his name was Jonah. We know that there's other places God called Isaiah. God called John the Baptist, and God called Moses, and God called Paul. Sometimes God calls people into frontline work. We might call that missionaries and evangelists and preachers. Sometimes God calls people into second-line work. That doesn't mean it's any less important, but they're more in a helping capacity. And I wonder, what service are you doing for God? God, it's not that just God calls 25% of Christians to do some kind of service. God calls all Christians to do some kind of service. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And so again, the call of God here was very plain. It was very clear. There was no question. There was no vagueness or shadowiness. And uh, I want you to notice uh, what God said. Notice the three details of this call. First of all, God said in verse 2, arise. So it's going to require Jonah to get to his feet. He's going to have to stand up. He's going to have to, if I could say this, get off his fanny. And he's going to have to stand up. He's going to have to arise. Say, well, I, preacher, I, I'm just perfectly comfortable like this. Well, maybe Jonah was. First part of that commission was arise. Second part of that commission 
uh, would you look at it there in verse 2? It says, arise, go. So first, he's supposed to stand up and get ready to do something for God. And second thing, he is to go. There's not a, a single place in the Bible that I can recall where uh, God instructed messengers to wait for God to come to them. Here, God is telling Jonah to go. So first of all, he's told to arise, get ready, get ready to do something. Secondly, he is told to go. And look at the third thing, verse number two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. So he's told to preach. He's told to tell these people what God has said, and he's supposed to lift up his voice and proclaim God's word. And you know the problem in that day is Jonah didn't want to do it. And folks, that's no different than the problem in our day. It might be that there are some folks here, God has asked you to do something. What are you waiting on? So, preacher, I just don't want to do it. Then don't criticize Jonah. He didn't want to do it either. And it sure is easy to be hard on someone like a Jonah. Well, what's wrong with this guy? God made it so plain. Well, let's turn that table around. If you're not somehow serving the Lord, you're either going to have to say, God's not called me to do anything. Or, I'm just like Jonah. I don't want to do it. And so again, what we've seen so far is that we have seen, first of all, how God deals with sinners, and he deals with them on the basis of their sin. Secondly, how God deals with servants. And he deals with us in the area of our obedience to what he's asked to do. I give you a third thing. Look there in verse 3. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But... Jonah, and you always notice the but. Every time but shows up in the scriptures, there's always a 180 degree, in other words, we're going this way, we're on our way to hell because we're sinners, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here is a but, but this certainly isn't a good 180 degree turn. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Say, preacher, where is Tarshish? By best uh, students and studying, Tarshish is way out there in the direction of England. So if I could, it, the Mediterranean Sea stretches here. Uh, Palestine or Canaan is here. Jonah is part of the north, right near uh, the Sea of Galilee. He is told to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. He does not want to do that. So he quickly heads to the Mediterranean coastal city of Joppa. And he says, is there a ship? <laughs> they say, well, sure, there's all kinds of ships. Is, it, is there one leaving today? Yeah, where are you, where are you headed? It doesn't matter. <laughs> and really, he didn't care where the ship would take him. He just knew that that Mediterranean went west. And as long as it didn't go northeast, he was perfectly happy to take it. So he finds that there's one going to Tarshish. Well, if Tarshish indeed is near England and Spain, that's a long way the wrong way. And I can't, as I, as I got thinking about, look, look again at verse 2, uh, uh, sorry, verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. I wonder if Jonah, as he is running to Joppa, well, he can't pray. He can't pray and say, Lord, would you provide a ship? That, that would be foolish. He just said no to the one he'd be praying to. And so maybe he's kind of putting out a fleece. This, this has got to be okay if I find a ship. Oh, lo and behold, there's a ship. Well, it must be God's will. Well, if they've got room for me, can I, can I, can I get on that ship? Well, there's room. Well, it must be God's will. And they said, well, you have to pay for the ticket. How much? They tell them, I've got the... It, do you know that you can convince yourself that you are going the right way by things that have nothing to do with going the right way? Folks, you have to be careful that you don't read into the circumstances of your life that this must be what God wants me to do. Just because there's a ship that's there, just because there's room on the ship, just because you've got enough money in your wallet to pay for a ticket, just because that ship is departing from the port today, none of that proved that Jonah was doing what God wanted him to do. Be careful. Be careful not to read into the circumstances you and I clearly know that Jonah was not in the will of God. I suppose he convinced himself, I must be. I mean, there was a ship there. And it had room for me. Be careful that you're not reading into the circumstances what you want to read into the circumstances. So the third S, if you'd write down, is the way that God deals with strays. The way that God deals with strays. So he's convinced himself that it's okay, he's found a ship, they've got room for him, he can afford a ticket. But I want you to notice there's a little word that maybe we read awfully quickly uh, look there in verse number 3. The Bible says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, notice, and went down. You know, I know that physically, from where he was called to that port city of Joppa, I know it no doubt was um, altitudinally down, yes. But you know what? God is interweaving into this thing. He's interweaving the, uh, the write-up of a backslider. He said no to God, and he starts going down. Keep reading there. It says he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. Do you know, as you continue to look at this section, he goes down, to Joppa, he goes down into the ship. Look there in verse number five. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast uh, forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to light into them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides. So, and then one more place, chapter two and verse number six. Jonah's giving his testimony of what's happened to him. I went down to the bottom of the mountain. You know what? 
from the time he said no to God, he's going down, 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 down. I wonder when that, when that sea and the wind and the waves were blowing on that ship, and he was down on the bottom in the hull, I guess. I wonder as he, as he felt that thing going from side to side, I wonder if his heart and his conscience didn't convict him and said, I know this is God. But it couldn't get any worse than this. Do you know what it did? God will keep taking me and you down until we stop running from God. And so I, we're, we're third, we're seeing the way that our God deals with strays. And the way he sends a storm their way, it's interesting, these that had experience on a ship, there were seafarers, as Brother Muscat would call them. Look there in verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. Oh, these, these, people, these people lived on the sea. They made their living. This was their occupation. They were petrified. And if they were petrified, imagine what Jonah was. I wonder if he said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> think about it. Look there, verse 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Do you know when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he turned in disobedience and headed the other way? Did you notice God didn't stop him? Let's say, Pastor, if, if, if this wasn't God's will, God would stop me. He didn't stop Jonah. You say, well, preacher, if, if this is not God's will, there won't be a ship at the port. There was. Well, if this is not God's will, then they won't have room for me on the ship. They did. Well, if this isn't God's will, then the ticket will be too expensive. It wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I say to you again, be careful about reading into the circumstances and expecting God to stop you because God will let you go down, 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 down. Just a sad thing. Again, how does God deal with strays? Well, he first of all sends a wind and a storm. Do you know when uh, Elimelech, we read that book of Ruth, when Elimelech decided in the famine that he was going to go to Moab. He should, never should have gone to Moab. Well, if I'm not supposed to go to Moab, God will stop me. Well, God didn't. Folks, God will let you go a long way the wrong way. It's just it's going to cost all the way that you do it. So, again, we have seen three things so far. We have seen how God deals with sinners according to their sin. We have seen how God deals with servants, about their obedience to what he said. We've seen how God deals with strays. He sends a storm their way. And then one more time, look there in Jonah 1 and verse 5. 
Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But the last part, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. The fourth S, how our God deals with sleepers. Isn't it a shame that although God intended for Christians to be a source of help and blessing to others, when we abandon doing what God wants us to do, we're no longer being a help to other people. Now we're actually being a source of trouble to those people. Not only was Jonah personally afflicted by this storm that God brought because of Jonah, now we have all of these mariners that were suffering because what God was doing to Jonah. Say, well, Pastor, that's not fair. That's not fair that the mariners would have to suffer for Jonah being backslid. I agree with that, but that's just how it is. Just as much as if you get God's blessing on you, that blessing overflows to those that are in your family and those that are close to you. When God's blessing was on Old Testament Joseph, God blessed that home that he was in. God blessed Potiphar and Potiphar's. Just as much as the blessing of God will overflow from you onto others, so too the judgment of God on you or me will overflow on others. It, it should be, I'm a father, it should be that if as a husband and a father, I make bad choices that I'm the only one that suffers for those choices. It should be. But you know what? If I make bad choices, my whole family suffers. Those close to Achan, when he stole that, those things from Jericho, by the end of Joshua chapter 7, not only is Achan stoned to death, but his wife is. And his children are. What a horrible thing. How important it is that we do what's right for the sake of all those that are close to us. And so again, he's asleep. He doesn't recognize all this trouble. Notice what the mariners do. They've, they've got a little better sense. Look there in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. You say, well, Pastor, they were lost and they were serving a lost God. That's true. But at least they were trying. At least they were attempting to get their God's help. What's Jonah doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. <laughs> May God help us not to be asleep. What an opportunity it would have been right there for Jonah to reach those lost people and yet, in such desperate times, if only Jonah had been right with God himself, and how many Christians are asleep amidst a storm. Do you notice what God did to that sleeper? He sent the lost world to wake him up. Look there in verse 6. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, 
that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Uh, I'm almost done for tonight. You know, God, God has a sense of humor. Here, here Jonah is trying to be inconspicuous. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's a prophet, a preacher, whose heart is cold on God. And I imagine when these lost mariners, uh, drawing straws, we find it a few times in the scriptures, and uh, I, I don't have enough intelligence to explain it, but it, it, it almost was a, a means of luck when the lost people did it. And I'm sure that Jonah, as these lost people are going to draw straw, here you pick one, whoever has the shortest straw, he must be the trouble, here you pick one, and here you pick one. And, here. and Jonah's looking, and he realizes that the shortest straw is still in the, the palm of that guy's hand. And he's saying, well, Lord, at least I'm a believer. You're going to protect me from being exposed. And God's, Jonah, you need to be exposed. Do you know that God loves you and me so much that he is not going to let us get away with sin? And that's a good God. And if there is something down deep in my heart or down deep in your heart, our God is not going to keep that hidden. He's going to bring all that to light. And so as they're drawing straws, Jonah's looking down that row and thinking, that guy, that guy, that Jonah picks his, and it's the shortest straw. And they all look at him and say, who are you? Look at the questions that they asked of Jonah. He obviously had not been a very good witness while he was on there. Look there in verse number Verse number uh, 8. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thy occupation? He obviously hadn't told him he was a prophet. And whence comest thou? When did you get in the ship? And what is thy country? And what people, uh, of what people? He hadn't... He hadn't taken an ounce of an opportunity on that voyage yet to tell them who he was, who his God was. He was a silent witness. And God brought it all to light. I, I give you the last thing, how God deals with, here how God deals with sleepers. The way God deals with sleepers is he moves all the circumstances to expose them. Say, preacher... I think all of us have skeletons in our closet. Maybe, maybe not. But even if many did, that wouldn't be right for you. There are some Christians that are gambling that God will never bring it to light. But God's a righteous God. And that's exactly what God did. See, God had to do that to Jonah here in chapter 1 so that Jonah would get to the place where he was obedient to God in chapter 3. And folks, if, if you or I are in a Jonah 1, if there's something hidden, God has to bring that to light because God's a just God. I read about this, I'm done with this, I read about the story of two men 
traveled far into the Arctic in search of seals. Well, through the long months of isolation, they got to quarreling. They got to where they hated each other, and they had a deep bitterness for each other. And at last, one man fired a slug into the other man's brain, killed him. To cover his crime, he dropped the body into the crevice of a glacier. There is nobody that is ever going to find this out. Then he returned to civilization. People asked, where's his friend? And he said, sadly, he died from exposure. He's lying through his teeth. He figures nobody is ever going to find that out. Well, God has a way of bringing truth to the surface. That glacier slowly crawled toward the sea till at last that section where that body was broke loose. And apparently it became its own iceberg. And the ice patrol sighted this iceberg. They decided they were going to have to dynamite it because it was going to create trouble for shipping. So when these ice patrol men clambered on top of this iceberg to put dynamite in this, they saw sealed in this clear ice the body of a man. It was perfectly preserved. Well, they knew they couldn't dynamite it now. So as they further examined, it revealed they got the body. They found the bullet hole. They found marks on that body that they could identify the man. And they had sufficient information of the crime that he was convicted by a jury. And you say, well, Pastor, that, that, that's impossible. No, that's God. That's just God. Now, it, it, Jonah's problem all started when he said no to God. If he had just said, Lord, okay, I'm, I'm scared to death. Uh, Ninevites, there are enemies. Uh, Lord, you have to give me boldness. Send 10 men with me, please. If he had just said, God, yes, none of that would ever happen. Folks, it's when we say no to God, and it just kind of goes down, down, down. And about the time you think you couldn't go any further down, life has gotten so bad, it goes down again. And the answer is stop the dive. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to go down any further. Stop me right now. Got to get my heart right. I don't want to do anything more foolish. Help me. That's how God deals with people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the text. Again, sometimes we read so quickly through this little book of Jonah. Lord, I, I imagine we miss some of these things, how, how God deals with sinners. He sends, he sends the gospel to them. He doesn't admire them for their success and worldly ambition. He has to deal with them on the level of their sin and how God deals with saints. He, he calls them to do something in his great work, and saints can either say, yes, God, or they can say no. And Lord, we saw after how he deals with sinners and how he deals with saints or servants, how he deals with strays. And when, when we run the other direction, 
God, God's a great God. He can make a storm and, and he can make a whale and, and he can make an east wind and he can make a gourd and he can make a worm. God, you're in the making business and all of that is to stop us from straying. And Lord, finally we saw how God deals with sleepers. Maybe we're just asleep. Maybe we figure somebody else can do it. Lord, that's why you call Christians to do a work for you. Help us to say yes to God. We ask it in Jesus' name.